All right, if you have Bibles with you, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've been teaching a series of messages on the uh, gifts of the Spirit. This is the 10th message in that series. Officially makes it the longest series I've preached this year uh, in my tenure here at um, Charlottetown Community Church. Um, in the first couple of messages, I laid a foundation. Then, then we broke the gifts down into different categories, containing three gifts each. And the first three, uh, we looked at what I referred to as the gifts of discernment, or the eyes of God. And we looked at the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discernment. The next category of gifts that we looked at is uh, what we refer to as the gifts of power, or the hands of God. And that included, included healing, uh, faith healing, and miracles. And so each week, we looked at one gift. And, um, in the, the last, uh, in the last message I had on this topic, we began looking at the gifts of speech, or the mouth of God. And they include prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the gift of interpretation of tongues. So, uh, so, so far in this category, we've looked at prophecy. <clears throat> and I, de I define the gift of prophecy this way. I like to do a little bit of review. It kind of helps keep us on a path of where we come from, where we're going. So a little bit of review on the gift of prophecy. Um, I defined it as that special ability that God gives to people so that they can supernaturally receive and communicate a message from God. I told you that the purpose of the gift, is, it's clearly defined in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14.3, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouragement and their comfort. That the purpose of, of the prophetic word is to strengthen, comfort, and encourage people. If it's not doing that, it ought to be suspect. It is to me. I described how it works. I gave you lots of examples and how people have, some people have prophetic styles that are influenced by what's been modeled for them, the culture they were raised in, what denomination they were part of. And sometimes their prophetic style is even influenced by, you know, what specific type of prophetic gifting that they have. And I went into that in detail. And then I, then I kind of broke down this to practical. Okay, you're going to give a prophetic word to someone. What happens with that? Now, it happens really quick, sometimes in just seconds. But there, there are healthy steps to go through. And it's good sometimes to break it down into parts. And I told you there were five parts. The first, the first is that you receive the revelation from God. So there's some type of input that comes. The next step is that it has to be interpreted for understanding. Okay, I received this revelation. What does it mean? And then the third is you've got to translate it to the culture. I've got to be able to communicate it to them in a way that they understand it. Then I need to communicate it in love. And then the fifth step I told you, the fifth part, was just to leave ownership uh, with the recipient. You deliver the mail, and then it's in their hands. And I told you that all five of those steps can happen in a matter of seconds. Also offered some, some basic, healthy guidelines for operating a prophetic ministry. Remember the golden rule. Don't do to anybody else what you don't want them to do to you, right? And, and the other was, don't violate love or freedom. Don't violate somebody else, else's freedom. Don't violate love. If it's not loving, there's a really good chance it's not God. God's love. Then we offered some biblical examples. We looked at Agabus in Acts 11, prophesying practical strategy to help feed the poor. We looked at Peter's vision in a trance in Acts chapter 10. And it absolutely altered the course of Christianity. God spoke in Revelation to Peter. And because of it, Gentiles were now welcomed in. It wasn't just for Hebrews, but it was for Gentiles as well. Powerful, powerful turning point 
in the history of our faith because God gave Peter a vision in a trance. And then we looked at Jeremiah 18, one of my favorite examples of a prophetic expression where God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah through a very normal, socially common activity in their culture. And by watching what was happening, God, God spoke metaphorically, parabolically to the prophet, a word for the nation. And so that was, that was the gift of prophecy in a nutshell. Uh, all of these messages, as well as many, many others, are on the church website. Uh, last week, I, I, I kind of um, I, I went off uh, the series and just shared a message. Uh, it was, we were here a year. Last Sunday marked a year, Nadine and I here. And so I thought it'd be fun to do a year in review. So I just kind of looked at all the messages that I shared last year and, and, um, and gave you an overview for that. So today, today is the gift of tongues. What I want to do, like I've done with the other gifts, is define it explain its purpose, uh, talk about how it works, and then offer some biblical examples. At the end, we're going to have a ministry time. We'll stand up, we'll pray for the Spirit of God to move in our midst and give us words of knowledge, and then we'll pray for the people who get them. So, I know that there are some of you in this room that you hear from God. This is some of the ways He speaks to you. If that's you, would you help us out and help make that time a little bit more effective by beginning to listen now? And if he has something for you later, would you muster up the courage and boldness to actually share it? I would appreciate that. Okay, so, you still got your fingers in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 12? You still have it on your smartphone or your iPad? Or... I'm going to begin reading at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It means everybody gets to play, and the purpose of the playing is that we all benefit. It's for the common good. So the whole community is blessed and benefits. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the affecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that um, you created all things, and that you sent your Son. And when that work was finished on Calvary, it was your plan and purpose to send your Spirit, and that you live, you make your home in us, you reign in us. Father, we ask you, please, let there be the full activity of your Spirit in our lives, in our church, in our community. In Jesus' name. I'm preaching this series for two reasons. I believe that if the gifts of the Spirit are operating in healthy ways in your lives, it will help you communicate with God better. And if you can communicate better, your relationship becomes more intimate. And I'm thinking, if that can happen in each one's lives, whatever God's called you to do, you'll become better at doing it. Right? Maybe the, the two simplest questions we can ask as a church, we can ask for our own individual lives is this. God, what are you doing? And how do I do it with you? 
I'm thinking life would be more effective that way. We might line up better with his ways instead of our ways. Well, that was the other thing I was getting in Revelation this morning. And I asked if anybody was frustrated. I want you to know that I was reminded of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, his ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. And so for some of you, this is the frustration you're feeling. You have thoughts and ways. And they're not bad thoughts and ways. It's just he's got something better. I think for some of you, the frustration that you're feeling is God's upgrading. He's upgrading your life. He's upgrading your circumstances from your ways and your thoughts to his ways and, and his thoughts. That the circumstances you're in, you're in are not punitive. You're not being punished. God's making things better. And don't we know, sometimes it gets messy when you do things one way and start doing things another way. God, what are you doing? How can we do it with you? Some of you have prayed prayers that somewhat resemble that. Well, this is what's going on. You've asked him what he's doing, and you want to be able to do it with him. He's making changes. And that might be the source of frustration for some people. I want you to know that God loves you. He's on your side. He's working for his good in your life. He's not angry with you. He's not disciplining you. He's not punishing you. He's making things better. Okay. So let's go on to define the gift of tongues. Question. How many here have ever used the gift of tongues, spoken tongues, as part of your faith experience? Okay. How many have never had that experience? And this is totally brand new to you. Okay. Maybe almost 50-50, 60-40. That's cool. That helps me understand. Um, what is the gift of tongues? It's the special ability God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to, uh, number one, to speak to God in a language that they've never uh, uh, learned. It's, excuse me, say it again. The gift of tongues is the special ability God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to speak to, to, speak to God in a language they've never learned and or to receive and communicate an immediate message from God to his people through a divinely anointed utterance in a language they've never learned. Say it another way. The gift of tongues is, is spontaneous, spirit-inspired speaking. Um, where the normal voice organs are used, but the conscious mind plays no part. Isn't that interesting? The gift of tongues is the spontaneous, spirit-inspired speaking. Say that ten times, ten times fast. Spontaneous, spirit-inspired speaking. Where the normal voice organs are used, but the conscious mind plays no part. The language spoken, sometimes sung, is unknown to the speaker. And uh, the gift of tongues is a prayer language that only God understands. Now, that's a pretty unusual gift. Uh, maybe a little bit more unusual than some of the others we've discussed so far in this class. What's the purpose of this gift? Well, I've come up with a few things, I think, to describe it. The first is edification. The main purpose of the gift of tongues, whether it's for public or private use, is for edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 3-5, this is what St. Paul says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone, verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. 
so that the church may be edified. So there's a lot going on there, and he's comparing the differences between speaking in an unknown tongue versus um, a prophetic word that's given in language that people understand. But I think verse 4 makes a very clear point. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Could you use to be edified? I, I could use to be edified. I don't think that he's knocking the gift of tongues. I don't think that he's implying that this is selfish and you shouldn't do it. He says, I wish everyone would speak in tongues. The Greek word here for edify means to build up, to restore, to repair, to promote growth. I don't know about you. I could use all of that in my life. I could use it to be built up. There's stuff that needs to be restored and repaired and promote growth. Not weight at this particular time, but growth in other areas of my life, you know. I've uh, found that often the fruit of this edification from speaking in tongues um, is an increased ability uh, for me to focus on the Lord and on what he's doing. Sometimes speaking in tongues for me, it helps me to tune in uh, to God, tune into his frequency and connect with him in a better way. <clears throat> the gift of tongues, uh, an additional purpose it's useful for prayer and intercession. I think a good argument can be made for Romans 28.6, where it speaks of groanings uh, as the gift of tongues. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, don't, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Have you ever been in that place? Circumstances as such, I don't even know. I don't even have the words to pray right now. I tell you what, tongues have been helpful for me in that time. It's an effective way to pray when you just don't know how to pray. The gift of tongues, uh, another purpose, is it's, it's helpful, it's effective in spiritual warfare. I have found that the gift of tongues um, is, is helpful in warfare in, in times of personal conflict, sometimes when ministering to another person. If you've ever been involved in some type of deliverance ministry where you're casting a demon out of someone, Gift of Tongues is often a very useful and effective tool uh, for doing that. And sometimes um, the Gift of Tongues, it's an expression of worship, either private uh, worship or corporate worship, uh, praise to God. Um, typically, in my experience, I've seen it flow out of the end of worship songs where you know those times when you worship, and at the end of the song, the music just kind of lingers, right? And that sense of the, the weighty sense of the presence of God just hovers in the room. Sometimes I've watched as that in, in that kind of place, that sometimes a song, using words that we know, kind of flows into songs being sung in tongues. It can be really beautiful. I've been a Christian for 37 years. I can remember all the way back then, that first year, when I was first introduced to this, this gift, that um, a woman told the story on how she had gone on this mission trip. And, um, and, and there was a time of worship and praise. Uh, I believe they were in Africa. And the, and the king of this tribe, I'm sorry, not the king of the tribe, trying to remember the story correctly. I didn't put this in my notes. It just came back to me now. They're worshiping. And um, she's not familiar with the culture. 
And as they're praying, she begins to speak in tongues, and she was always kind of embarrassed. You know, some people speak in tongues, it sounds pretty melodic, and she had this odd kind of clicking sound that she made. That's the way her gift of tongues was expressed. And it always embarrassed her, but in this worship time, she just kind of pushing past herself and, and makes that clicking sound. And um, at, the, uh, at the end of the worship time, the person who is leading the session says, gets to the microphone and says, who is making that clicking sound when we were praying? And the woman's like, oh my God, the last thing I want is to be called out on this. It's awkward enough for me. And so sheepishly, she kind of raised her hand. And she said it was me, and she's thinking she's about to get rebuked for doing something wrong. Maybe she's just not familiar with the culture there. And the person told her, he, he said, in our tribe, that's the sound that we make when the king walks by. Let's rock the world in the middle of worship in a culture she didn't understand. She's making a sound <laughs> that identified the presence of the king. It was so encouraging to her. You know, she's never embarrassed about speaking the tongues that way again. Often, tongues can be used as a form of worship and praise. Um, think of it as a spiritual love language, if you will. Sometimes used uh, when we're lost in the awe and the wonder and our love and praise of God. When human words are inadequate, or when human words are exhausted. I believe that when tongues is used in this way for worship and praise, there's no requirement for it to be interpreted. It's just communication to God. But tongues can be used another way. It can be used as prophetic expression. Sometimes a prophetic word is spoken in a, in a gathering like this first in tongues. And when this happens, it needs to be interpreted. Um, I've been in, in, in meetings and sessions where, again, sometimes at that very end of worship and you get that lull and it gets quiet. And you just kind of hang in that choir for a little bit. And I've heard people at that point, they'll speak out in a tongue. And when it happens in churches that are familiar with that, what happens is you wait. You know that that was a prophetic word. And what's going to follow it is somebody else is going to have the interpretation of it. They're going to communicate to us in English what was prophesied in the tongue. That's what Paul's referring to in chapter 14. When someone speaks in tongues, it needs to be interpreted. Someone speaks publicly in an unknown tongue, another person interprets that tongue and shares the prophetic word uh, with the rest of us. Um, verses uh, 26 to 28 in first. Corinthians 14, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three um, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Pretty clear instruction. If you feel you've got a prophetic word and it's, it's bubbling up inside of you in tongues, um, then it needs to be interpreted. If you know that in your group there are people who have the gift to be able to do that, there are people with prophetic gifting that can, can offer the word afterwards, well then speak it out. If not, if, if this isn't common in your church to have somebody who's, who would normally be able to do the interpretation part, well... Let's keep it to yourself. That's some pretty practical instruction there from Paul. Obviously, this is 
This practice is much more common in charismatic and Pentecostal circles. So how does this work? How does this gift of tongues actually work? Well, or how do you get it? I think you can get it one of three ways. You ask God for it and he gives it to you. Someone else asks God on your behalf and he gives it to you. Or it just spontaneously emerges in times of great or intense anointing. Now I gotta tell you what, I've been a Christian a long time. I've seen some pretty weird gimmicks <laughs> attached to try to get people uh, to speak in tongues. Maybe some of you guys have heard these too. Um, in, in my... Uh, in my early Catholic charismatic days, they thought the best way to get somebody to speak in tongues was that if you would say the Lord's Prayer really, really fast and say it over and over and over again, somehow you would, it would translate it to tongues, you know. I can remember really well-meaning, loving people just trying to, you know, just really want you to have this gift, that that's the gimmick that they would use. And I don't know if God actually used those, those entertaining methods or not, but I've, I've seen people try and do that. Um... And there was a real push back in those times that people had to speak in tongues. It was, it was, um, there was a push for it because it, um, I think it was a misinterpretation of Scripture that really drove this push that made sure that people had to, you have to speak in tongues. Uh, that if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not a Christian. And I think it was a misinterpretation of Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 17, it says, Jesus says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poisons. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on, on sick people, and they will get well. And so I think the misinterpretation is that every individual person will speak in tongues. Therefore, if this sign does not accompany you, then you do not believe, is the assumption. And if you don't believe, then you're not a true Christian. So with that misinterpretation, it's like, oh, we got to get people to speak in tongues. I didn't, hand, I didn't see them handing out cups of poison or people handling snakes, but they did, they did cling pretty hard to the whole speaking in tongues thing and got pretty pushy on it. So it erroneously became the litmus test for spirit-filled believers. If you want to be in the club, then you have to speak in tongues. Otherwise, you're out. So somehow you didn't, you didn't qualify. In my humble opinion, I think this is simply a mistake, and I think Scripture clearly says why. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 to 31, it says, Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, Third teaches, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. And in verse 29, he, he begins to ask a series of questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you the most excellent way. What's the obvious implied answer here to the questions? Do all. Fill in the gap. The obvious answer is no. <laughs> Not everybody does all these things. We're a body with different parts. And different parts do different things in the body. And the body works together as a whole. The gift of tongues is not the sign or evidence that you're a believer. But it can be a sign that you are. 
<clears throat> and like I said before, this seemed to be a much bigger deal in the charismatic and Pentecostal circles a couple of days, uh, decades ago. Um, thankfully, it, it, it seems to have simmered down and isn't much of an issue uh, in the church today. Uh, we moved on to other things <laughs> instead of the gift of tongues. So let me share some of my, my personal experience. My, my first pre-Christian experience uh, with tongues. I may have shared this story before, but I grew up in, um, in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, in the mid-'70s, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal was just sweeping through the region and kind of swept my family up with it. And um, my mom was the first one to go to this prayer group, and it just had a, just a profound impact on her life. And then my brother went, and my other brother, and my father, and I thought they were just being, I thought they were religious fanatics. They were Jesus freaks. I wanted nothing to do with this. I thought they were really strange. I had a baby sister. I was like, you go out, and I'll watch my sister. So this one afternoon, we're sitting in the, sitting in the dining room, and my mother and brother were there. And I forget what we were talking about, but my mother says to the, the two of us, let's pray. Now, this is weird. Now, we would we'd pray in church. We would, we would pray the memorized rote prayers that we were trained to do as, as good little Catholics. And sometimes, it, it was more often than not, my family would pray around the dinner table before we have a meal. But praying any other time than those was, was just, I don't know, we just never did it. So here's mom sitting here and, and says to me, and to my brother Robert, let's pray. I'm thinking... All right, they're into this whole Jesus stuff. They want to pray. I'll pray with them. And then my mother says, let's hold hands. I'm thinking, why do we have to hold hands? I don't want to hold my brother's hands. I don't want to hold his hand. Why do, you have to, why do I have to hold his hands when we pray? But, well, it's my mom. I love her. All right, mom, I'll hold his hand. So I'm holding both of their hands, and the next thing I know, they both start speaking in tongues, right? And I'm thinking, now I know why they're holding my hands. I can't get away, you know? This is really weird. This is God, this is weird. That was my first exposure to gift of tongue. This is weird, man. You guys are weird. So they and they're praying with their eyes closed. My eyes are wide open. I'm watching everything they're doing. I don't know, aliens are gonna jump out of the next to one. I had no idea. Freaked me out. So that was my exposure to tongues. But then I, you know, through a, a whole other story, I began going to this this midweek prayer meeting that they were going to and those other people spoke in tongues too. And you know what? I got to know some of those people, and I liked them. You know, they, except for this tongues things, they were, they were pretty normal people. Matter of fact, they were extraordinarily loving people. They were very, very kind to me at a very hard time in my life. And so slowly, I began thinking, well, maybe this tongues thing isn't so weird. You know, maybe it's okay. You know, it added credibility. I trusted these people, so it added credibility, you know, for me. I was, um, I, so not long after that, I began uh, participating in a beginner's Bible study program called the Life and the Spirit Seminar. And during the fifth week of the class, they give the, the students an opportunity to um, pray and ask Jesus to come into their hearts to be Lord and Savior. And then they, after that, they pray for you for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I, I had both those experiences that night. They, they let me pray, me and me and my brother and, and three of our best friends, we accepted the Lord that night. And, and then some very sweet people. I remember this one old lady. She was probably about 80 years old. She was a retired school principal. Her name was Mary Murphy. She probably weighed about 89 pounds soaking wet. But I got to tell you, man, when that little old lady laid hands on your head and prayed for you, that was power. 
So her and another guy, they laid hands on me and they began to pray for me. And the gift of tongues just kind of, it started to bubble up and just come out of my mouth. Um, it really felt to me, as I'm you know, recalling the memory, like it bubbled up in my chest, like right here in the center of my chest, I could feel this thing bubble up. And then I just, because it was a really safe environment, I, these people have been really good to me, I opened my mouth. And the words came out, and they got really excited. And me and, and all five of our friends, we began to speak in tongues that night. That was 37 years ago, July 1st, 1976. Um, it's very real. Um, it, it's a, a gift that I still have and can still use. Some, some personal observations about the gifts of tongues. Um, as prayer or as praise, it can operate at will. This is one of the gifts that I've discovered. You can turn it on, you can turn it off when it's used in that fashion. Um, I could demonstrate it for you right now. This is what it sounds like when I usually speak in tongues. And sometimes it goes into a more melodic form. Like if I could feel it go... Just turn it on and off. As a that's for prayer for worship. Could you feel that? I don't know, I could feel something. God's so good. Um sometimes when but when the gift is used as prophetic utterance, like all revelation, we really don't have the power to turn it on or off. We can respond or not respond to God, but he still needs to initiate it. In other words, there must be anointing there for the prophetic to come. Like I just described or demonstrated, it could be spoken or sung. Sometimes it does. It flows from one into the other. Another observation. I found that for some believers, the gift of tongues is a real obstacle. It's a hurdle that they have a very difficult time getting over. Um, and it's been specific, uh, especially uh, difficult for people um, who might consider themselves intellectuals or academics. It's difficult for them to embrace this gift. I can think of a friend of mine, this is back in those early, early days, um, you know, wonderfully gifted and talented, incredible songwriter, worship leader, compassionate, tender heart, gifted in so many different ways, desperately wanted to gift of tongues. Um, incredibly, a highly educated doctorate in psychology. She could not get to this place where she was able to speak in tongues. And it bothered her. I, I really encouraged her repeatedly, let it go, don't worry, it's okay. It's not like you're a second-class Christian because you don't operate in this gift. But I do, but I noticed in her and many others like her that if for intellectuals or academics, it's just difficult for them to embrace this gift. I think it's the purely spiritual and non-soulish function of this gift that makes it challenging for those who've cultivated their minds to a high degree to embrace it. It's hard for them to let go of the conscious mind aspect of it and just let it happen. Their, their mind, their brain gets in the way. They, they, they overthink it. And it doesn't happen. Um, and for some reason, uh, uh, this gift has been rejected. Uh, um, 
I think for, you know, because of people in that category. <coughs> Some circles have rejected the gift, and others even have forbidden that the gift of tongues is not to be spoken. I can remember as a young Christian, I would listen to Christian radio all the time. I'd have the Christian radio station on 24-7, and they used to have these little 15-minute programs back then. That was all the money they could raise. Anybody remember times like that? And so I, I listened from program to program. I was so hungry. I wanted everything and anything I could get my hands on. And I listened to one guy say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And then 15 minutes later, the next guy comes on and says, if you speak in tongues, it's demons and you're filled with the devil. Oh, my goodness. So there are some circles that make you have to have it, and others will absolutely condemn you to hell if you use it. And so the gift of tongues actually forbidden. But there's a problem in 1 Corinthians 14, 39 and 40, if you go that far, Paul writes, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Why did Paul have to put in Scripture, do not forbid speaking in tongues? Somebody was forbidding. <laughs> Somewhere, somebody was saying, you can't, you're not allowed to speak in tongues. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's a, we're going too far if we forbid it. Some biblical examples, okay, the classic, the, the you know, most clear example of tongues being in Scripture is the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, it, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Oh, powerful. Another you know, amazing turning point in the history of our faith. The Holy Spirit came upon believers in a powerful way. Sound filled the house. Something that seemed like tongues of fire separated, rested on them. They spoke in tongues. Now, because of the next couple of verses, 5 to 8, some commentators like to argue if this was a gift of speaking or of hearing. Verses 5 to 8 say, Now there was staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them? in our native language. Personally, I think commentators arguing over this hearing versus speaking thing is they're straining out gnats <laughs> and swallowing camels. The obvious weight on the story here is that the Holy Spirit came, just as Jesus promised. And one expression of many at Pentecost was the gift of tongues. The other biblical example I'll have today, I'm not going to go through it and, uh, like I have in weeks past, but just I'll, I'll leave it to you. Uh, seven times in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul makes reference uh, to the gift of tongues, twice in verse 5, and then again in verse 6, 18, 22, 23, and 39. And what he's doing here is he's giving commentary and instructions uh, to the church in the use of the gifts, and he makes multiple references to the gift of tongues. It happened at Pentecost. St. Paul, the, the primary author of, of the New Testament, makes you know, very pointed, specific references to the gifts. He includes this bold declaration in verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
I think it's a crystal clear biblical argument that the gifts of tongues are biblical. So I encourage you uh, to read and study that chapter for yourself. So that's, um, that's my take on the, on the gift of tongues. We've defined it. Uh, I've explained its purpose. I gave some examples of how it operates and, and gave you a, at least one good biblical example of its functioning and another biblical example of instruction on it. Next week, um, David Roos will be here, so we won't continue with this uh, series on the, on the gifts of the Spirit. Then the following week, um, we'll pick up with the next gift, and the list is the, the gift of interpreting tongues. So, so that should be uh, interesting. So let's stand.